This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's art collections. Find us at artuk.org, where you can see artworks from around the nation in one convenient place. You can also follow us on your social media channel of choice at artuk.org, spelling out the word doc. Finally, if you're a longtime listener of this series and you have not yet left us a review on Apple Podcasts, please do that. It helps others discover the series. There's a town in Essex named Harlow that is the UK's only sculpture town. In fact, it may be the only sculpture town in the world. This label sounds like it might refer to an entire town carved from marble, but it's more about the community's ethos. We have the largest collection of public sculpture of any town in the UK, but I suppose it means sculpture is part of the fabric of everyday life within the town. That's Kate Harding, Artistic Director for the Harlow Art Trust. The great things about Harlow Sculpture Town is that it's, it's really kind of permeated throughout. The collection includes pieces from Rodin, Elizabeth Frank, Barbara Hepworth, and more. 90 works are dotted across the town in residential areas and shopping centers, as well as the typical places one might expect to find sculptures, like outside of public buildings. Nominally, it's been a sculpture town since 2009, which was when Harlow Council voted unanimously to rebrand, and we got some lovely brown signs that say Harlow Sculpture Town on them to encourage people to stop and, and to visit. But the idea of having public art throughout the town was something that informed the concept of the town from its very early days. In 1946, there was an initiative called the New Towns Act that sought to relieve overcrowded urban areas and provide replacement homes for those lost during the Second World War. Harlow was part of the first wave of designated new towns. The idea was that there was quite a significant housing crisis in the wake of the Second World War. Certainly in the South, that was due to two factors, really. So one being the Blitz and the bombing, which obviously kind of flattened uh, residential areas in London and left a lot of people displaced. And then the other factor was just that the the remaining housing stock was really not fit for purpose and people were kind of living in in slum-like conditions in the mid-20th century. So I think nationwide, it was felt that there needed to be this very big program of post-war reconstruction. And the New Towns Act would bring in a number of brand new towns throughout the country that would be built with the latest designs and kind of set the tone for quality of life for the second half of the the 20th century. In building towns from scratch, there was an opportunity to be deliberate about how roads and areas were laid out and to consciously decide what requirements should be prioritized. Some of the innovative ideas for city planning were showcased during the 1951 Festival of Britain. This is the festival, something Britain devised halfway through this century as a milestone between past and future to enrich and enliven the present. A diverse place of serious fun and light-hearted solemnity, reclaimed from the bomb rack and the decay of years. Here in the heart of London, It was a kind of showcase, really, for a lot of the technologies, the materials, the aesthetics that were going to be taken forward and sort of spread out around the country. It was an opportunity for the public to come and see examples of buildings and that sort of architecture um, made in a style of sort of international modernism, which would have been extremely contemporary. 
Each building in the festival was accompanied by a large artwork of some sort, be it a reclining figurative sculpture or a mural. The idea was to integrate art within the new communities that would appear across the country. Harlow is noted for being one of the new towns that did a particularly good job of imbibing the festival style. This was due in part to the leadership of the town's master planner, Sir Frederick Gibbard. He was a very keen collector of art and uh, sculpture enthusiast. And Gibbard in particular, he was very influenced by his trips to Florence. He would walk through the kind of Piazza della Signoria in central Florence and look at Michelangelo's David and see that sculpture was a way of giving a place identity and more than decoration. He called Harlow the Florence of Essex, which is a lovely idea. <laughs> in 1953, Gibbard established the Harlow Art Trust, enabling the town to acquire sculptures. Philip Hendy, who was the director of the National Gallery at the time, helped to identify works that were up for sale, and the trust would then source the necessary funds for purchases. This money came from small grants, corporate sponsorships, and other resources. As for the commissioning of new works, the town has long cultivated a relationship with art students and recent graduates. Because they had such a grand vision for a very large sculpture collection, they felt quite comfortable commissioning a, a young and inexperienced artist to make, a, to make a small sculpture. And if that went well, then maybe they, they would commission them for a bigger piece later. And that was certainly the case with the two works that we have by, by Ralph Brown, who's quite a significant post-war British sculptor. They commissioned a small work called Sheep Shearer, which was sited outside a, a community a community centre when he was still a student. And then later he made this monumental piece called um, the Meat Porters for the Market Square, which is really sort of prime location. So they were very kind of enterprising and resourceful and they did what they could with the funds that they had. But it's sort of, what I find so interesting is that the Newtown project, these sort of endeavours were being taken very, very seriously, you know, as they should have been, but very seriously in artistic and, and architectural circles. There are kind of um, instances where pieces of sculpture would just be offered on long-term loan, apropos of nothing really, but they just recognised the significance of what was going on and wanted to contribute in some way or wanted to be involved or associated. So are you still acquiring works? So every year, in reference to this historical relationship that the Trust has, particularly with the, with the Royal College of Art, we partner with them every year and run an artist residency. It's called the Sculpture Town Artist in Residence Programme. And the recipient is given a supported studio in the town centre for a year. And it's always, it's always an artist graduating from that year's cohort of sculpture students. And at the end of their year-long residency, they get an exhibition in the Gibbard Gallery, and some of the work that they make um, will be donated to the collection. When there are so many sculptures in a collection with new works being commissioned all of the time, the pieces can begin to dialogue with each other, as is the case with a very subtle work by Harlow's first Sculpture Town artist-in-residence, Ben Thompson. For his donation to the collection, he left us a piece called More Waiting Room. It's three separate benches that are arranged around a sculpture called the Harlow Family Group, which is by Henry Moore. It's three benches and then a sign that says Moore Waiting Room. It's a little nod to the history that Moore's family group has, which is that it, it was commissioned in 1953, sited initially um, in Parkland and it remained there for a couple of years, but it wasn't long until one of the, the heads of the figures got, got knocked off by a football. 
Um, oh gosh. <laughs> so yeah. So well, I mean, at football, maybe a brick. We're, we're not. It's a little bit murky. But so the trust was always very, very concerned about this work because obviously it's of um, great kind of art historical importance. But it also representing as it you know it represents a family group. And Harlow, by the 1960s, was known by the popular press as as Pramtown. It was just bursting with new families. So it was a very you know very symbolic piece of work. Um, and the trust were, you know, right to be very careful about it. So it moved from Parkland to be repaired, and then and then into the town centre where you could keep a kind of more watchful eye of it. In the 1980s, the head was knocked off again. It was again taken for repair, and then and then and then moved elsewhere for a 1.2 ton uh, hunk of limestone. It's been remarkably mobile over the yeah. 70 years that it's been in the town. So it's sort of fitting for Finn's piece, which just, you know, creates a kind of holding area, waiting room around it, that it kind of suggests that either, you know, either the the viewer isn't going to be around for very long in the way that, you know, a lot of the time, a great, you know, a lot of public sculpture is just ignored or, or not seen in the first place or or actually the sculpture is going to go somewhere else too because public art has this in spite of its sort of um, material strength and presence it always feels or increasingly feels kind of fragile and a luxury and something that um, is is, uh, precious and difficult to maintain. The first piece the town received was Barbara Hepworth's contrapuntal forms and it wasn't commissioned or acquired by the trust. It was actually commissioned by the Arts Council, which at that time would have been a fledgling organisation. It was commissioned by the Arts Council to be one of the sculptures in the 51 Festival of of Britain. If you imagine, it's this eight foot tall, two giant, giant pieces of, um, of blue Irish limestone, abstracted figures, very, very contemporary. This great big sculpture was sited on London's South Bank in a very prominent position and sort of stayed there throughout the duration of the festival as an emblem of where the country was going kind of aesthetically. After the close of the festival, all of the works that were commissioned for it, of which there were, you know, um, hundreds, were offered to existing arts organisations, but also development corporations throughout the country. For, for one reason or another, Hepworth's contrapuntal forms was quite a hard sell. It may well have been because it was, you know, it was, it was an abstract piece of sculpture on a, on a monumental scale which really would have been quite a significant departure from the kind of works on that scale and in that context that people would have seen before. Even though people would have been more accustomed to representational imagery or war memorials for sculptures of that scale, Harlow saw the value in Hepworth's piece and acquired it to be a point of pride in the new town. First of all it was sited in in what was then known as Area One. So it was it was the first part of the new town that was fully developed. We now know it as Glebelands, the sort of quiet housing estate. The the kind of logic behind putting it there was that if they were to site it anywhere that was unfinished, it was thought that kind of, you know, it wouldn't be respected enough by the local population. It had to be somewhere that was finished and livable. But the intention was always that it would move from this quiet residential area into the civic square once it was complete. But once um, once Gibbard's civic square was complete and they, they did sort of put some feelers out to kind of start thinking about moving it, residents of Glebelands put their foot down and said, you know, no, 
It's interesting because there's the Rodin sculpture, which is in front of like a, it's kind of in a shopping area, I guess, and mm. in front of a Nando's and a Five Guys. So it's another piece that's kind of come to be in an interesting, unusual place. Well, yeah, I suppose. I mean, that, that's one of the things with, with these sort of permanent public artworks is that in a lot of cases, the artworks have remained, but the, the developments around them have changed really significantly. Sculpture by Rodin, which is called Eve of the biblical figure is sited in the water gardens which were sort of grade two listed gardens that were um, designed by Gibbard and a man named Jerry Perrin and completed in 1963 and these were the gardens to the old town hall which I think was the first high-rise town hall in the country that was demolished in 2004 and a new retail area was built up around it In a way, the changing cityscape around these pieces speaks to how integrated they are within the community. Just like it's not uncommon to stumble upon a historic ruin on a walk around Rome, you might find yourself facing a Henry Moore sculpture on a walk around Harlow. We have another sculpture in the Water Gardens by Henry Moore, who was very particular about the relationship between his sculpture and and its environment. And he would always come and cite things very, very carefully. And this sculpture called Upright Motive used to look out over a rolling green vista. But now the car park that was once sunken has kind of come up and interrupted that viewpoint somewhat. So they do change. Since they've only officially been a sculpture town for 10 years, it's still early days in the development of what it truly means to make Harlow the Florence of Essex. Harlow Art Trust was awarded a grant from the National Lottery Heritage Fund in 2018, and that was to conserve a number of works in urgent need of care, but also to consolidate and reposition Harlow Sculpture Town as as a visitor attraction. So we are working on a new map with new self-guided trails that you can do, um, a new app and a new website, just to make the collection a lot more accessible. The beauty of the collection is that it is so dispersed. It's not a sculpture park, it's a sculpture town. It really is 90 works over in a 30 kilometre area, which is great. Um, but it also it does make it it does make it quite difficult for for a visitor to, to to access. So hopefully those resources that we're working on now will make it something that is a lot easier for the public to come and enjoy. If you found the idea of a sculpture town interesting, my first piece of advice would be to take a trip to Essex and pay Harlow a visit. If that's not possible, the next best thing is to head over to the Art UK website where you can find photographs of the town's collections. The article for this episode is also up on our stories page where you can find images of the works we've discussed. As always, thank you for tuning in and please join us again next time.